Okay, we're going to get started. So let's um, let's begin with prayer. So let's stand and ask God's blessing upon our study this evening. Heavenly Father, we praise Thee and thank Thee for another privileged opportunity we have, an honor to gather as Thy people to to study Thy Word, uh, to uh, partake of uh, the bread of life and uh, the water of life. We pray that Thou would uh, strengthen our souls, that Thou would give to us uh, joy and delight as we feast upon Thee, and uh, that thou, Thy Word would be used uh, to convict us of our sin, uh, to uh, place before us Lord, thy promises of forgiveness and of love and of all the grace that we have in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, bless this time, and we offer it to thee. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we have before us tonight John chapter 8 and verses 33 through 36. Beginning with verse 33. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, Ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. If the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. By way of review, uh, just remember that the location of this discourse that Jesus is giving has not changed from John chapter 8 verse 2 and early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came unto him and he sat down and taught them so this is the same location in the temple he's speaking to the multitudes that are in the temple at that time and he continues his teaching emphasizing once again from our last study that uh, he has not come to teach, to preach, to perform miracles on his own authority, but that uh, he has the authority on his merely on his own authority, but he has uh, the authority of his father as well uh, that confirms uh, the teaching and the miracles that he performs. And so the Jews uh, would know that he has taught uh, the truth and perform miracles because uh, he is the great I am after he is crucified he would uh, again they would know that all that he had taught all that he had performed by way of miracles uh, would be base would be 
uh, evidenced by the fact that he was crucified and that he was resurrected. And so that became confirmation that, that basically all the ministry of Jesus Christ was in fact uh, um, faithful and true and that the Father was the one who sent the Son. If in fact Jesus was not crucified, if in fact Jesus was not raised from the dead, you can toss it all. All that he said, all that he did, all the miracles he performed mean nothing. Uh, they said that he performed the miracles, the Jews said, uh, by the power of Beelzebub, uh, by the power of uh, Satan. And if in fact uh, he was not crucified and if he was not raised from the dead, yeah, that's uh, what we would have to conclude. He performed all that he did, the miracles he did, by the power of Satan. And so the fact that he was crucified, as he said he would uh, be, and that he was raised from the dead three days later, later indicates that it was all true. In fact, it indicates that the whole Bible is true. Because if Jesus was not crucified, and if he was not raised from the dead, then you can throw out everything else that we find in the Bible. Because the whole Bible is built upon Jesus Christ. Everything before points to Christ. Everything afterwards points back to Christ. And so you can throw out the Bible if Jesus wasn't crucified and if he wasn't raised from the dead. You see how central it is to our faith, how central it is to, uh, to uh, everything uh, in the Bible that Jesus Christ was crucified and that he was raised again from the dead. So when many of those who heard uh, Jesus and had professed faith in him, in John 8, 30, it says, and he spake these words, many believed uh, on him. Jesus made it clear that one clear evidence of genuine faith was that uh, they would continue to trust him, love him and obey him. When he says in verse 31, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. So what's an evidence that we are the disciples of Christ if ye continue in Christ's word? If someone says that they are a Christian and yet do not continue in his word, they may have started well, they may have uh, started the race, it seemed like. The, the gun has gone off and they start the, the, the race, but they don't finish the race. What are we to conclude? They weren't one of his disciples. Because all of those who are his disciples, they not only begin the race, but they finish the race. They finish with perseverance. Not, not their own strength. I mean, it, obviously they are themselves um, exercising themselves to obedience, but where does that strength come from? To run the race. It comes from the Lord. The fact that they run the race, the fact that they finish the race, is not to their credit and to their glory, but to the one who gave them the grace, to the one who gave them the strength to run the race and to finish the race. 
And that happens, that running of the race and that uh, continuing in the word and the doctrine of Jesus Christ, uh, even in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of affliction and trials, as well as in the times of prosperity. Uh, Christians may become discouraged, certainly. Christians may falter. Christians may fail. But all Christians arise again. They don't remain in that fallen state, that backslidden state. They arise again uh, by God's grace. God lifts them up so that they continue. If they falter in the race, they stumble, uh, they don't stay there because they will finish the race. So take encouragement in your life, as you look at your life, and as I look at my life, there have been times that have been very, very hard, and I've struggled, and you struggled. But take courage that you didn't remain in that state, that you, by God's grace, uh, were brought to the place to continue the race, to continue to trust Christ in the midst of, of the tribulation, the temptation, in the midst of the afflictions and trials, that you didn't give up. That's the work of God's grace. Recognize it for such. Praise God for that. Don't just take it for granted. It's an evidence that God is working in your life and that you belong to him. And then Jesus, in verse 32, this is all review. Uh, in verse 32, uh, Jesus says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And so, this is, we ended last study on this note, talking about uh, freedom. And uh, we indicated that freedom is not doing my will or your will. That's not true freedom. Uh, not in the sense that uh, Jesus is talking about freedom here. It's not doing what I want to do. Anybody can do, I guess, what they want to do um, uh, unless they have shackles on their, 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 um, their hands or upon their legs and they can't. Uh, walk or they, they can't go where they want to, to go, but, but we can still do what we want to do and think what we want to think. No one can inhibit our, our thoughts, but that's not the, that's not the type of uh, freedom that Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about physical freedom. Uh, he's talking here about a, a, a spiritual freedom, that true freedom uh, is doing what God wants us to do. Um, and he's going to talk here about bondage versus freedom in the text before us uh, this evening. So let's delve into the text before us today. Verse 33. They answered him, that is the Jews, and probably even the Jews that uh, earlier in verse 30 believed on him, uh, they were still present. So perhaps even some of those who professed faith in him, said they believed in him, uh, along with maybe the Jews that uh, the Jewish leaders 
who were very much set against Christ. Uh, they answered him, we be Abraham's seed and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? So upon hearing that Christ's truth would set them free, uh, those in the temple uh, took offense at the words of Jesus in verse 32. And they made a, a ridiculous claim that they had never, as Abraham's seed and posterity, the children of Abraham, that they had never been in bondage to anyone. So what did Jesus mean? They, they were saying, so what do you mean, Jesus, that, uh, that ye shall be made free? How could they make such a claim? Think about it for a moment. They were in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. Uh, they were in bondage to the, the Assyrians for nearly 200 years. They were in bondage in Babylon for 70 years. Right now, as, as they're speaking, they're in subjection to Rome. And yet they say, we've never been in bondage. We've never been enslaved uh, uh, to uh, any power uh, and any nation. But that's where pride leads us. Pride will lead us to deny what is so obvious by way of what is right and true in order to save face. They did not want to acknowledge what Jesus had just said, that he would make them free. And so rather than acknowledge that he could make them free in pride, they said, we've never been in bondage. What were they in, so proud about? Well, they were proud about being the physical seed of Abraham. And there's surely nothing wrong with honoring uh, our parents, uh, our grandparents, our distant parents. Uh, in fact, we're commanded to honor uh, our parents in the fifth commandment. But this statement goes far beyond honor. First, these Jews were only emphasizing their physical relationship to Abraham. We're the seed of Abraham. They weren't emphasizing their spiritual relationship to Abraham. Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 19, have the wrong okay I'm sorry it's 3 9 Matthew 3 9 <clears throat> this was uh, 
from John the Baptist to the Jews who came to uh, hear him preach and uh, to witness his, his baptisms. And John says in verse 9, And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. That was the problem. They took such pride in their physical relationship to Abraham. When in fact, uh, to be of the faith of Abraham... And to believe as Abraham believed and to have then that spiritual connection and to be the spiritual posterity of Abraham was that which was to be treasured. Not a mere physical connection to Abraham, but a spiritual connection to Abraham. The Apostle Paul says in John, I'm sorry, in Galatians 3, 8 and 9, And scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, And thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Those who are of faith, those who believe and trust in the Lord God, not in themselves, but upon him for the righteousness that they need, not in their own righteousness. Those are the ones that are blessed and receive the promises of Abraham, not just the mere physical seed of Abraham. So that's the first problem, back to John 8, when they, when they say, we be Abraham's seed, look at us, you know, uh, in pride. We be Abraham's seed. Second, though, uh, these Jews, as we noted, rewrote their history in order to discount uh, the truth of Christ when they said that they had never been in bondage to any man. That could, as we said, nothing could be further from the truth. But that's, again, the nature of pride. And that's why the public debates... Uh, that many Christians involve themselves in, in these Christian groups and forums on the internet and uh, in these various rooms or uh, websites that are set up, Facebook groups, whatever they may be. That's why it's so, so tempting um, in those situations uh, to exercise pride because in engaging uh, in those situations, in a public setting, uh, I dare say that pride, rather than humility, often prevails. If you've been in enough of those types of situations, uh, you can either see it in yourself, as you have, or as I have gotten involved in those situations, or you can see it in, in others uh, who promote themselves uh, in pride in those types of situations. It's just not the best place, I submit to you, to engage in debate. Um, very often pride prevails and truth suffers uh, in those situations. I submit when we truly desire to understand someone else's position, 
or to explain to someone else our position, it's usually better to read a book or an article uh, about that person's position, listen to a lecture or a sermon, or watch even a formal debate, or read a formal debate, if you want to hear both sides of the question. Or if you want to, again, if you uh, do desire to explain to somebody um, what is the truth of a position that you believe is biblical and scriptural, I would, I would suggest those forms as not being perhaps the best place to do that, simply because uh, if you're holding a position <clears throat> that is contrary to the majority, uh, again, so many different voices uh, engage, and so many different, it, it's hard to sort out, and it's, it becomes, again, uh, I think, ultimately counterproductive uh, in those situations if you truly want to explain what you believe the truth to be or to hear from someone else it's probably better to private message them or email them and and, and talk with them uh, in a more particular way uh, about that uh, that's just my own experience and, and I share that with you because I think again uh, pride very often predominates, and when pride predominates, we, we try to save face in front of other people, and many times we end up saying things that we know we shouldn't have said, say things that we don't believe uh, uh, really are the truth, just like the Jews here. Um, out of pride, we are Abraham's seed, and then they completely misrepresent their own history out of, because of issues related to pride. <clears throat> and the point that they make here in verse 33, when they say uh, that they were never in bondage to any man, um, In what sense uh, are we to understand here um, the you know, fact that they say that they are not in bondage to any man? They probably, again, meant uh, physical bondage. And uh, Jesus, however, when he talked about making them free, wasn't talking about setting them free physically or politically, uh, that wasn't what he was talking about. He was talking about a spiritual freedom. And yet they're talking about a physical, political bondage. And, uh, and understand Christ to be likewise talking about a physical, political freedom when he says that he will make them free. And that comes again uh, through what Jesus says in the verses to follow. In verse 34, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Now we get more to the issue of what kind of freedom and what kind of bondage 
the Lord Jesus is talking about. Not what they understand, but what was Jesus talking about? It has to do with has to do with sin. Either we are in bondage to sin or we're set free from sin. So Jesus makes clear at this point that he is not addressing physical bondage, but spiritual bondage. What is spiritual bondage? Well, it's living in habitual, unrepentant sin. Living in habitual, continual, unrepentant sin makes one, Jesus says, to be the servant of sin, to be in bondage to sin. When sin exercises dominion over a person, that person is in servitude to sin. James chapter 4, verse 17 says, with regard to sin, and there are different, I'm going to read you two different verses that emphasize they're not disagreeing with one another, but they do emphasize two different aspects of sin. James 4.17 says, To him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So sin does involve, according to James, doing what we know and that we are aware of when we sin against what we know is right, when we sin against what we know is true, uh, that is sin. When we do that which is contrary to what we know to be right uh, and to be God's will, we consciously sin then. Uh, That is an intentional sin, to sin against knowledge, to sin against understanding. So that is sin, but that's not the only definition of sin. Certain churches only define sin that way. That only when you know that what you're doing is wrong is it accounted sin. In other words, if you're not aware that something is sin and you're doing it, then you've not sinned, according to some churches and the, the, the teaching of these churches. Uh, particular, um, that, that's particularly true in certain Wesleyan, uh, Methodist, Nazarene uh, types of churches that, and I'm sure it flows into other uh, churches and denominations as well, that you can only sin when you know that what you're doing is sin. Um, if you don't know that it's sin, then you're not sin. This verse doesn't, doesn't limit sin to that, but it does say that is sin. When we sin against what we know to be right, then that is indeed sin. So it's not saying that that's the only definition of sin. We go to 1 John 3, 4, find, I believe, a more full definition of what sin is. 
Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So whether we know we are transgressing the law or not, every transgression of the law of God is sin. Okay, so that, that's a different, that's, uh, it's not contradicting what James said, but it's giving a more full definition of what sin is. Anything that is contrary to the perfect righteousness found in God's law is sin. So sin, according to our catechism, uh, is a lack of conformity, the want or lack of conformity to God's law, to God's will. Now, those sins can be sins of commission, where we, we commit sin, or sins of omission, where, where we simply fail to do what God calls us to do. So we do sins of commission, we do what God has told us not to do, or we don't do what God has told us to do. Also, sin can be by means of, of, of knowledge or by way of ignorance. We can sin by ignorant. We can sin ignorantly as well as knowingly. The fact that we do not know that we have sinned is, is not a reason or an excuse uh, for our sin. That's why there were sacrifices in the Old Testament, uh, sacrifices uh, for ignorance of sin. And so again, we, we need to have a broad definition and an understanding of what sin is. Also, uh, we can sin by way of actual personal sins or by sins of our nature, our corruption within, our desires, our thoughts, uh, all of these, uh, not just actual uh, commission and actual personal sins, but sin dwells within us. Even when sin is not active within us, even when it's not attempting us, sin is still within us. And again, we need to seek God's forgiveness uh, every day, not only for the sins that we know we've committed, certainly we should be seeking God's forgiveness for those, but uh, also for sins we aren't aware that we've committed. Do you ask God for forgiveness for those sins daily? You know, the promise is if we confess our sins in 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we, again, not only need forgiveness daily for the sins that we know we've committed, but also cleansing from all unrighteousness, any lack of conformity to the will of God in our lives. That's a, a, a part of our sanctification, our growth. And the Lord delights to forgive us of all of those sins. And in Jesus Christ, he has judicially forgiven us of all of those sins. But daily, for our, our sanctification and growth in Christ, we, 
we not only by way of our justification once and for all are forgiven all of those sins, but in our sanctification daily, in our growth in Christ, uh, we are seeking God's forgiveness for uh, our sin in all of the respects that we've just mentioned. You see, when we ourselves are the ones who define uh, what we believe to be sinful, we will usually justify those very areas uh, in our lives that we're weakest in. We'll, we'll, we'll justify, we'll use, we'll excuse them uh, because those happen to be our weaknesses. That's why we cannot, we cannot use ourselves as the standard by which we judge whether we've sinned or not. We can't use merely our own conscience as the standard by which we judge whether we've sinned or not. That's why we have a standard outside of ourselves. God does, again, uh, by way of the law of nature and the light, the light of nature uh, within us, there is that light uh, in our conscience uh, that does um, reveal to us uh, sin, but due to our sin, our conscience isn't the standard that it ought to be. Uh, that standard has been perverted due to our own corruption. Uh, and we need a standard that is absolute, that isn't affected by sin. And, and that standard is um, the righteousness of God revealed in his law, in, in his commandments. That, that, that standard doesn't change. That standard isn't altered um, by way of uh, any man's conscience or any man's um, uh, thought of himself. That's an objective standard that, that is absolute and does not change. His standard is perfect righteousness. And there's no place for any of us to hide from that standard. To justify our sins here on earth by our own standards, our own conscience, it may bring a few years, a few years of lying uh, to our conscience, which allows us to continue in unrepentant sins, but then we will all stand before God's righteous judgment on that final day, and then will sin be exposed for what it is not according to our conscience, but according to his righteous standard of his moral law and his moral commandments. No one will be able to hide from God at that time. And we can only hide for so long. We can only hide for so long if we do not now cry out to the Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That is how. We do not hide then from the, the righteousness of God when we cry out, be merciful to me, a sinner. We're acknowledging that we're sinners. We're acknowledging we've broken his law and his commandments. We're acknowledging we deserve his judgment. But we're saying, Lord, Show me mercy. 
not thy holy wrath, but mercy in Christ Jesus who paid the penalty for my sin as I trust in him, as my righteousness, as my forgiveness. Here, Jesus says in verse 34, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. The word in the English text committeth um, conveys the idea of the Greek, the Greek word in the Greek tense, in the present tense, conveys the idea of habitual. He who habitually commits unrepentant sin is the servant of sin. And so, for any who um, proclaim this false doctrine of perfectionism that we can reach a state in uh, our Christian walk in which we no longer sin here upon the earth, uh, that we reach this, this place or this level, this degree where we um, perfectly keep God's commandments, uh, they have to either redefine sin or they are completely deceived uh, or both um, and lying to themselves for again uh, the epistle of John the first epistle of John John 1 8 1 John 1 8 if we say that we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us uh, verse 10 if we say that we have not sinned we make him a liar and his word is not in us so even after coming to Christ, we can never say and that we have reached a place where we have no sin, where we have not sinned. Uh, we continue uh, to, uh, to sin. So what are we to, in light of what I've just said, and back to 1 John, First uh, John 3, verses 8 through 9, says this he that committeth sin is of the devil for the devil sinneth from the beginning for this purpose the son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin for his seed remaineth in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God so that's where again perfectionism uh, will latch on to that particular verse uh, where it says that those who commit sin are of the devil, those who uh, are of God do not commit sin. So what, what is John saying then? Well, uh, in light of what we've already noted when Jesus says back in John 8, uh, 34, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. We said what he means is those who continue habitually in unrepentant sin are the servants of sin. So likewise, here John is saying, 
he that habitually committed sin, unrepentant sin, is of the devil. And in verse 9, whosoever is born of God doth not habitually commit unrepentant sin. For the seed of God remains in us. We've been born again. We can't habitually continue in sin and not repent for it. That's, impo that's impossible. If the seed of God has been implanted within us, we have a new nature by God's grace, then we can't continue uh, in that. Uh, that's impossible uh, uh, to happen. So that's, that's what John is saying in 1 John. He's not teaching perfectionism. He's saying we can't continue habitually in unrepentant sin. The unregenerate person, the person who has not been born again, person who has not trusted uh, in Christ alone for his eternal salvation, uh, that person can only sin. That person can only sin against God in everything that that person does, in everything that that person thinks, in everything that person speaks. That person can only, if they're not regenerate, if they're not born again, if they have not come to faith in Jesus Christ, they can't do anything but sin because they cannot keep, they cannot uh, do the will of God. To do the will of God according to the measure of, of the standard of God's law, according to, uh, they cannot uh, do the will of God uh, out of love for the Lord, and they can't do the will of God to the glory of God. Those three things, if we are to do God's will, it, it, then we must do what God commands us to do. We must do it out of love for the Lord, and we must do it to his glory. And, and again, no non-Christian, no unregenerate person can do that. That's impossible. They don't have the will. They don't have the nature. They don't have the desire. They don't have the faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. How can they please God and do his will if they don't have faith in God, faith in Christ? They can't. Hebrews 11.6 says that. Uh, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Romans 14.23 says that uh, whatever is not of faith is sin. So if it doesn't proceed from faith and trust in the living Christ, then what they're doing is sinful. So again, understand, that's all that an unregenerate person can do is sin. It's only those who are regenerate, those who are born again, those who trust in Jesus Christ, that will on the last day have even one good work. Those who are not Christians will have no good works, not even one. There may be amongst, there will be amongst Christians those who bear 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold by way of their sanctification and growth in Christ and the good works they are able to do by the power of God. So there may be differences 
But the difference between an unregenerate person and a regenerate person, one who is born again, one who is not born again, one who, who believes and trusts in Jesus alone for his salvation and one who does not, is that those who do not will have no good works. Those who do will have good works, regardless of how many that may be. Uh, all Christians will have good works uh, because of the work of God in their life. So this is another biblical paradox uh, that we find in Scripture. Uh, a paradox, uh, you know, we've looked at uh, and considered before. Uh, to to live, you must die. Uh, to live uh, everlasting life, we must die to self um, and live to God. Uh, but here uh, is another one. In order to be free, uh, we must again uh, be uh, the servant of Christ. We cannot be truly free until we become a servant of Jesus Christ. And so um, there's only true freedom in serving Jesus Christ. You see, everyone's going to serve someone. Um, there's no neutrality. Every human being is going to serve someone or something. And uh, non-Christians are going to serve themselves. They're going to serve, um, uh, they may even serve other people. Um, uh, they serve uh, their pleasures, the things that they cherish most in this world, um, uh, family members, their work, their jobs, their toys, their you know, possessions, their money. Um, uh, Jesus says, in Matthew six twenty four, you know, you cannot serve two, uh, two masters. Uh, either you're going to love the one and hate the other, or you're going to um, love the one and hate the other. Uh, and so you can't love them both. You can't hate them both. You're going to, again, uh, uh, have one master. There's no neutrality. And uh, so we have to realize and ask our question, who are we serving? Who's our master? Are we serving Christ? Because if we serve Christ, uh, there's true freedom there. There's true freedom in serving Christ in being free to obey the Lord, being free to walk in his ways and in his commandments, being free to enjoy his blessings, to, to enjoy his love, his peace, uh, uh, all the grace and the mercy, eternal life, all that comes with, with Christ. We have a freedom to enjoy all of that. But if we're going to serve ourselves, if we're going to serve, and that's who our master is, uh, our sin, uh, our uh, worldly things, uh, then... Uh, we are the servants not of Christ, we're the servants of those things. And that's a bondage. That's a bondage to those things. Uh, and a deadly bondage uh, to those things. Verse 35. 
Jesus says, And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. So Jesus sets forth who are those truly who, uh, who have a place in and abide in the household or the house or the household of God for all eternity. Who, who are truly uh, the family of God? And uh, it's not the servant of sin that is the family of God, that is the house of God, but it is indeed the son uh, that is preeminently the one who is uh, in the house and abideth forever, the son of God, Jesus Christ. And those who are united to Jesus Christ by faith abide in his house forever. Those who are servants of sin abide not in the house and the household and the family of God. But those who are the servants of Jesus Christ abide as family members in his house forever. You see, there are sons, there are sons in name only like Ishmael. He was a son, a physical son of Abraham, but he did not abide in the house forever. He was kicked out because he only had a physical relationship. And then there are sons in reality like Isaac, who are the true heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ because they believe and trust in Christ. They're not merely physically. He was physically related to Abraham, but he was spiritually related by virtue of having the faith of Abraham, trusting in the Lord, trusting in the promises. Same is true of us. We can have a physical relationship by way of our baptism, an outward, an outward um, sacrament so we can have a physical relationship but that does not necessarily mean we have an inward spiritual relationship we can be the children of Christian parents like Ishmael was a child of, by way of physical relationship to Abraham but that did not guarantee his salvation and it does not guarantee our salvation. There are many blessings that come from being raised in a Christian home and a Christian family and learning of the truth of Jesus Christ, being baptized. Uh, many blessings that come from that. But if we do not trust in Jesus Christ and if we do not walk in faithfulness to him, which our baptism points us to, then our baptism actually speaks against us. It actually condemns us because we're not walking uh, in faithfulness to what our baptism actually calls us to. And finally, in verse 36, 
Jesus says, if the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Very similar to what he said in verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But here, he personalizes it. Rather than the truth objectively, now it's this Son personally. Uh, if, if the Son therefore shall make you free, that is, Jesus Christ shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. So this is the conclusion that he draws on this particular point. And we know it's a conclusion because he uses the word therefore. If the Son therefore shall make you free, uh, ye shall be free indeed. You see, people are searching for freedom, aren't they? Um, uh, wherever you go, you, the discussion um, revolves around freedom, whether it's sexual freedom, uh, reproductive freedom, transgender freedom, marital freedom to to divorce whenever one wants to, racial freedom, intellectual freedom, political freedom, religious freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of protest, freedom of assembly, and we can go on and on and on with all of the uses of freedom uh, in our society at this time. But Jesus here makes it clear that there is no true freedom that does not come from him. All true freedom comes from him. It doesn't come from man. If it is a freedom granted to us by Christ, it is therefore the responsibility of those in power and authority to protect that freedom that comes to us from Christ. But it is not man that gives us those freedoms. All freedom comes from the Lord. And therefore we never have the freedom, and we can never rightly use the freedom, the word freedom. Uh, in speaking of disobeying God, we never have the freedom to do what is contrary to God's will that's revealed in Scripture. God has never given anyone the freedom or the right to disobey him. None of these so-called freedoms that are just mentioned should be tolerated or encoded as laws that violate the freedom and right of God to be God alone and to be the lawgiver alone. Okay, these, these so-called freedoms that many people claim, uh, we need to recognize that they are only freedoms if they come from God and if they come from his law and his commandments. Our rights and our freedoms are rightly understood from the lawful duties we owe to God and to our neighbor. So one way in which we can understand what are our rights and what are our freedoms uh, is to understand what are our duties. And where we find our duties would be in God's law, God's commandments, right? And so if we understand that it is our duty 
to worship the one true living God and Him alone, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then there is no so-called right to worship any other God. Because we never have a right to disobey God. We never have a freedom to disobey God. And so we can understand, again, um, if we, another example, if we have the, uh, the duty to keep the Sabbath day holy, then we don't, we don't have the right for a government to disown the Sabbath day. There's no right that God gave to the, uh, to the government uh, to discountenance the Sabbath day. We only have then a right to keep the Sabbath day and every magistrate that does not establish that uh, as a duty and therefore a right is, is uh, violating uh, God's word. The last thought I'd leave with you as we close this evening when Jesus says if the son therefore shall make you free you shall be free indeed only Jesus through his death and his resurrection can set you free to enjoy a freedom that truly brings joy that brings peace that brings contentment regardless of what you're facing in your life. Only Jesus can give you that freedom. A spouse can't give you that freedom. A parent can't give you that freedom. A civil magistrate cannot give you that freedom. Only Jesus can give you a freedom to be able to enjoy him regardless of what you're going through. That comes from the Lord who sets us free to be able to enjoy him and to follow him and to obey him uh, in the midst of the most trying of circumstances. You see, that's the picture. That's the picture that is presented to us in Scripture uh, when we talk and when we read about the deliverance of Israel from Egyptian bondage by God's supernatural work of power and grace through the plagues, through the opening of the Red Sea, and then to walk in the freedom as they cross the Red Sea, to walk in that path of righteousness and truth as they cross the Red Sea and to the other, and to the other side. That's the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. He sets us free miraculously as the people of Israel were set free by the plagues and by the opening of the sea. He sets us free by even a greater miracle working within us and taking our heart that's, that was inclined uh, to sin, that was dead to him and making it alive. Working his miraculous power in us to give to us a willingness 
to give to us uh, affections and a desire to walk in obedience, giving to us faith to trust in him, repentance to turn from our sin, giving to us new obedience when we fall to renew our obedience, our covenant with him, afresh and anew. That's all miraculous. That's supernatural. It's not something that you or myself work within us. It's more miraculous than what God did and setting his people free from Egyptian bondage and opening the Red Sea and them walking across on dry land, what he works in our lives. And just as he set them free from that bondage, he has set us free from a greater bondage. Pharaoh is simply a picture of, of bondage to Satan. Egyptian bondage is a, is a picture of bondage to sin, but we have been set free from that as Israel was set free from, from their bondage. We've been set free by the power, by the grace and the mercy of God. Let us walk, therefore. Let us walk in that freedom. Let us not despise that freedom to, uh, that we have to obey God, to find our joy, our peace, and our contentment in Christ. Let us not despise that freedom. Let us not use that freedom for our own selfish purposes. Let us walk in thankfulness before God in that freedom. Let's uh, stand and ask God's blessing upon what we've studied this evening, that he would apply it to our hearts. Lord, we... Thank thee for thy word. We thank thee that thou has given it unto us once again uh, in word that we might understand it. And we cherish it and we treasure it. We thank thee, Lord, that, that thou has opened our hearts and our minds to it and we would walk in that freedom, a freedom to please thee, a freedom to obey thee, a freedom to take thy truth and to... Uh, to um, be the servant of truth and servant of Christ, the servant of righteousness rather than the servant of sin. Lord, we, we pray that uh, what has come from thee even this evening uh, might be used uh, to encourage us to walk uh, before thee uh, in love and in obedience and uh, to shun, to walk away from, Lord, the, uh, the, even the appearance of evil, and uh, to not, and to hate and despise the idea of being the servant of sin, to consider it an abomination, to consider it slavery, like the children of Israel, far worse than the bondage the children of Israel were in for 400 years, to see how, Lord, uh, that bondage, how evil and, and uh, wicked that bondage is, but to be thankful uh, that we have been delivered from that bondage through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Okay. Any questions uh, uh, from the uh, study this evening? If not, you are dismissed.